0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives.
1: Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. For the next 60 minutes as we travel to the stage of the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, ABLC 2017, in Washington, D.C., 500 on-site delegates and 10,000 BioChannel TV viewers have gathered to hear the latest trends in bio-based materials. Also, stuff that'll transform everyday life. On stage this morning, we have Mike Salzberg, who heads up bio-based chemical commercialization for DuPont. Also, we have the president of one of the world's largest chemical companies, DSM BioBase. That's Atul Takrar. We also have... Jacques Baudrillosic, a top exec at the pioneering algae company, Alginol, moderating this morning. Our discussion will be Steve Weiss at Genomatica. That's a company bridging computational and life sciences to transform the way we make everything from wetsuits to tires. It's going to be a very exciting Industry Horizons forum talking about the future of Biobase. Let's join Steve Weiss, who's on the ABLC main stage, moderating right now.
2: Uh, Genomaca develops and delivers complete biobased processes for their production of intermediate and specialty chemicals. Uh, the first commercial plant in the world using our technology is up and running in Italy. Novamont, uh, our highly respected partner, uh, is doing a beautiful job. We have the greatest respect for uh, Novamont and their CEO, Caccio Bastioli. Um, this morning's session, is going to focus on commercial progress. And we have uh, three great examples of companies that have been moving the ball forward in terms of technology, products, customers, and they have a lot of lessons to share with us today. Um, Let me introduce our, our three speakers, put on glasses for that. Uh, first, we have Atul Takrar. Uh, many of you probably know him. He's a, a many time presenter at ABLC events. Uh, Atul has been president of DSM's Bio Based Products and Services Unit uh, since the summer of 2015. He has over 20 years of experience in specialty chemicals and in energy. Many of you may also know him uh, from his days as CEO of Cigaris. Uh Atul, good seeing you. Uh, Next, we have Michael Salzberg. Uh, Michael is a 29-year veteran of DuPont uh, and for the last 11 years has been leading DuPont's efforts in biomaterials as their global business director. Um, He's going to be describing both their existing products that have been in market for multiple years and and a great pioneer with those efforts, as well as some of the new uh, platform chemical work that he's working on. Last, uh, at the end of the table, we have Jacques boudreau who Did I do okay with that, Jacques? Uh, Who is Chief Business Officer at Algonol with over 20 years of experience in energy and technology. Uh, Before Algonol, he was at Codexis and prior to that, held senior policy positions at the Department of Energy. Uh, With that, uh, let's welcome our panelists and Atul, if you can
3: start us off. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thanks, Jim and Fabia, for this uh, fantastic uh, setup here. I've been coming to this for, I don't know, seven years now, and uh, I think every year it gets better. So thank you for that, and thank you for the support for the industry. Uh, I want to call out a couple people from DSM. Marcel Lubin, uh, he's heading up. Uh, please stand up, Marcel. He's the, the more handsome of the three Dutch people here, but uh, he looks after Riverdia. And Hans van did I say that name right, Hans? Right, he's the commercial director in, in the United States for, for DSM. Uh, so what, what I'm gonna talk to you about is a little bit of introduction to DSM. I'm gonna also talk to you a little bit about the experiences that we've had at the commercialization front. And most importantly, I'm gonna try to start a dialogue here in terms of the lessons learned so we can have some frank conversations about what's going on in this industry from at least our perspective, and I hope that that creates a dialogue for everybody. So the title, I kept changing that, and uh, I decided to settle on this one. Long-term vision, the need for that, and persistence, because this journey as I think Babette and others spoke about yesterday is a long one. It It is a journey that sprinting all the time, a marathon. I think some good, good words were used to describe that and I just continue to build on that it is going to take some time, it's going to take more money and, and there are going to be surprises along the way. So having that vision and having the persistence to stick with it I think is a, an important element uh, for success for this industry. Now I need to figure out how to run this. Okay, so uh, DSM. Uh, I'm an expert at DSM. I joined two years ago so what, what I want to do I'm not an expert at slides either. So we were a coal mining company 100-plus years ago. DSM stands for Dutch State Mines. And this company has gone through some amazing, amazing transformations, in my opinion. We moved into the commodity chemicals in the 80s and more recently uh, into more specialty chemicals. And today, DSM is known for life science, health, and nutrition and, and uh, material sciences. It's a $10 billion enterprise, and we have transformed in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, two or three times. And so the, 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 the emphasis of this change really is around innovation. How do we continue to reinvent ourselves? How do we bring innovation to bring about value in the marketplace? And, and today I would like to say DSM stands for doing something material, doing something valuable. And, and for me uh, that that's what has brought me into the fold here. So um, we have, as I, as I understand, uh, through an acquisition, got into the yeast and the enzyme business and so we were known to help people make bread and cheese. That was really our foundation. And today if you go through the full spectrum, you know our aspirations in the 20th century were to do certain things and then and then in the 21st century, we want to apply that knowledge and know-how and capabilities to serve this marketplace and make ethanol better, make succinic acid better, make the whole bioeconomy go around. And that, I think, is what we bring uh, to the table here in terms of the biotech expertise and experience to make the world go around better. We have a um, nice, nice picture here. I hope you agree that uh, uh, there's a bright science behind this. And, and I wanted to paint to you a picture of what we see happening in the bioeconomy in the future. We see this as a as a kind of a circular theme where instead of oil, we're going to be thinking about crops as the future oil. I know that's been talked about a lot, but I wanted to give you a little bit of flavor about what we think about that. It all starts with the land. It's renewability, it's it's taking a renewable feedstock, whether it's you know wheat, whether it's corn, whatever it is, whether it's the the, the residue, and trying to put a, a, a concept of a biorefinery around that to be able to extract the maximum value. If you if you compare this to oil, you know in the in, in, in the in the early days when oil was discovered, there was minimal use for oil. Today, every, the whole barrel has value, and every component of oil is taken to different uh, uses, if you will, whether it's fuel, whether it's uh, chemicals, and so on and so forth. And we see the same thing evolving. In, in, um, in this biorefinery concept. So, if you take corn, what do you do with it? You know, you, you extract ethanol, there's oils, there's all kinds of things in there, and we continue to develop and evolve new products, animal feed, and so on and so forth. So, I think it's, it's that whole concept of how can we extract maximum value to make these biorefineries that are focused on biorenewables or renewable feedstocks to create value. And that's kind of where we started our, our, our thinking. And, and and starting to evolve from that, but I think as you heard yesterday, and this is a continuing theme, you know, this is a journey, this is a marathon, whichever way you want to describe it, and it's got its its own uh, traction. It will have its own uh, issues, uh, but but having the conviction uh, of making it happen and staying the course and and following that through, I think is really what uh, what separates the men from the boys, if I can use that terminology, right? And I think this industry really has a lot of perseverance. I see people that have been uh, you know, involved in this industry for many years, uh, lots of scars in our backs. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is starting to form. As Jim would say, you're getting, you're getting a lot more attention today than you were getting five years ago. And I think it's, it's a matter of just continuing to, to, to stay the course. I want to switch gears now. This is a little bit about DSM, the vision, what we want to do. I want to talk about some real things. You know, this is a, a, a shiny picture of the plant that was built a few years ago. We invested with our partner, Poet. Official number is two hundred seventy-five million, and I'm going to stick with that number, right? But the reality is that it's not that number. It's north of that, and it has been an interesting journey. You know, lots of ups and downs. It doesn't look as shiny as this picture does because we we took this as a stock picture. But what I'm I'm really gratified about is that the partnership that we have with POET, both of us are committed for the long term. We want to make this happen. We want to make sure that we stay the course. You know, the goal here is to make 25 million gallons a year. You translate that, it's 770 tons of feedstock a day. Right? Corn stover. And so you see those trucks. You see the, the background picture. That is all the inventory of, of uh, feedstock that we have. Uh, it has been a tough journey. You know, we've been in a startup mode for lost last 18 months. You know, that's not typical. But this is the first of its kind. We can all lay claim and have, have uh, our own experiences. But we, we believe that we are actually turning the corner. And, and I, I give you two data points on that. Number one... You know, there there are two measurements in this this factory. One is getting the yields. So number of gallons per ton of of, of biomass. And number two, how much biomass are you going to put through? So the yield and consistency. Very happy to report that in the last 18 months, we've demonstrated the yields. We could get roughly 70 gallons a ton. That is something that's not a problem. We have managed to do that, and now we're working on, on getting it done more consistently. So, getting to the, the 10, the 20, the 25 million gallon production. Uh, that is a steep journey, but I think we're, we're, we're turning the corner. And both of the partners have a high level of confidence that this is the making, uh, this year is going to be the, the year of making. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we took a bold decision to announce the fact that we're actually going to make additional capital investment here in bringing uh, an on site enzyme manufacturing uh, facility in Emmitsburg. And, and that is based on the conviction that we have. Rather than buy and use, we're going to make and use. Uh, and this is a technology that DSM is bringing to the table uh, with, the, with what we believe is a superior uh, value proposition that allows us to continue to go on the path, not only on the capital, but also on the operating costs. Because at the end of the day, if this program is going to be successful, we need to attack it on both sides, getting the capital down, getting the operating costs down so that we can be over a period of time, be competitive uh, you know, with the 1G ethanol space. And, and so this is a journey in the making, and I'm sure you're going to hear more about it, uh, but, but this is one that uh, both POET and DSM are, are committed to. We also recognize that this journey is long. We recognize that this journey is also going to be more costly than any one of us anticipated. And we have the conviction that we're going to make it work. But whilst we're doing that, I think what we're also embarking upon, yesterday there was a lot of discussion about get away from, uh, from ethanol. I'm telling you, we're not getting away from ethanol. We are heavily involved in ethanol, but we're not making ethanol. We're making it better. That's the goal. And so we just, uh, in the summer of last year, we announced a partnership with ICM. ICM uh, is responsible for putting up more than half of the plants in North America, the corn ethanol 1G plants is there now, and they've developed a, a very exciting technology to improve the yields further. And it, we call it the Gen 1.5. For those of you who are not familiar, that's essentially just taking the fiber that currently goes into the animal feed and actually extracting that, and then and then uh, uh, you know breaking it down to make uh, uh, ethanol or additional ethanol. And and so here again, our partnership, just like it is in the in the previous case, we bring the biotech solutions. To, to the port DSM venture in the 1.5G uh, in collaboration with ICM, we're doing the same thing. We're bringing our yeast to the table, uh, and in particular the differentiation that we have is that we're able to take both the C5 and the C6 sugars and convert that into ethanol as well. So again, uh, the theme here is is to bring value, bring sustainability in different ways to make these biorefineries more successful and, and more productive. I want to also... Uh, Marcel touched upon this yesterday in, 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 a, in a broader context, but this is another one of our ventures. Uh, DSM and Roquette have partnered together to put the first – everybody wants to talk about the first, right? You know, this was the first factory. It was maybe a smaller factory than the second factory, but it is a factory that's out there uh, that started up in uh, 2014 making succinic acid, bio-succinic acid. And so uh, you know, this is another journey, multimillion-dollar journey. You know uh, and, and it, it's, it's a marathon as, as Marcel rightfully described and our, our focus really, uh, unlike the previous one, if we can make it work right, if we can get the economics, there is no market risk because ethanol has, has a home. This one is a little bit different. I think we've got the technology covered. I think we have the science covered. I think what we're focusing now is market development to grow the market because I believe my personal belief is I think there's way too much assets in asset today. Than the market uh, warrants, so so I think we have to catch up on that on that front. So that's a decision that we've made jointly with our partner to really pivot and really focus the organization on market development. And Marcel talked a lot about it, so I won't dwell on it. But again, that's that's another example where DSM is participating. I like this picture because uh, I don't swim, but we need to get out of the one pot to the other. And I think it's this is ways of there's a necessity think beyond and, and, and that's what I want to land up with in, in terms of what does it take to be successful. I think again I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the theme that having a long term vision and a commitment and a pocketbook to support that, to have transformative impact in in, uh, in this environment, I think is absolutely important. I think having the right partners, I mean if you see the theme that we have in, in the three examples that I shared with you, picking the right partners, having the conviction that we bring different things that are complementary and being able to work together, because this is a journey that no one of us will be able to be successful alone. That's our opinion. And so, whether it's POET, who is the number one ethanol producer in the, in, in, in North America, or whether it's Rocket, which has got a, a backward integrated biorefinery in in Europe, uh, or whether it's ICM, I mean, th- those are the kinds of examples where. Picking the right partners, making sure you have the right uh, balance of competencies uh, to be able to take the challenges of this world, I think, is, is absolutely important. And as I said earlier, we are staying focused on fuels. You know, a lot of people are running away, but we think that there's a future because biotech is bringing solutions uh, and, and will continue to bring solutions, and we'd like to be able to be part of that. Biomaterials, I want to create a controversy today. I think there's lots of us playing in the biomaterial space. Lots of startups, and I was one of them uh, at Segedis. I think we got a lot of fantastic innovation going on. But when it starts looking like you need to put 50 or 100 million dollars or 200 million dollars steel in the ground, that's really the part where the challenges start. And so, uh, a provocative perspective there's lots of players. My prediction is that in order for this part of the sector to succeed, I think we need to think a little bit differently. Do we need more assets in the ground? Do we, do, we, do we need technology or do we need market development?
1: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue looking at amazing stuff from pioneering bio-based companies. We're live at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference. Stay with us.
2: Get the news on our shows
4: and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
5: Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C., Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs.
0: The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America to become great again. My theme is
2: Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. Combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing oil prices
0: yes the story on everyone's talking about but if the u.s can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know other technologies work like dme and and really great
2: kind of biogas vehicles then they can export that the thing that really is exciting is this convergence
5: to learn more visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ablc
2: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com
5: You are
0: listening to TerraTip. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com
1: now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring this morning amazing stuff from pioneer biobased companies uh, live at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. Right now on stage, we're going to rejoin Atul Takrar, the president of DSM Biobased.
3: We need all of them. What What is the right balance? And, and we will all survive, we will thrive, or we will all, uh, you know, find a different way Participating in this market in a meaningful way. So that's where I want to end uh, to create some some discussion on that point. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Atul. I uh, really appreciate those open, candid remarks. Uh, you know, very helpful and sharing for the audience. Uh, let's welcome Michael Salzberg of Dupont.
4: Thanks, Steve. Uh, I'm Very pleased to be here. This is my first time at an ABLC type of event um, representing Dupont. Earlier this week, my colleague John Piper talked to you about what we're doing in the biofuel space. A lot of fantastic innovation and investment going on there. We also have about a $1.2 billion enzyme business that continues to innovate and bring products to market. I'm not going to talk about that either. I'm going to talk about the business that I lead, which is the DuPont biomaterials business. Um, One thing that fascinates me about biomaterials is that people come to it from very different perspectives. So, there are folks that come to it from the ag perspective. So, you're ADM or you're Tate and Lyle or you're Cargill, and you've got this fantastic biorefinery making corn starch that today you take to ethanol or high fructose corn syrup, and you're looking for ways to Ford integrate from what you know about. Or maybe you come to it from the biotech sphere where you're looking at it and saying, there's been such amazing innovation. In the field of modern biology, how can we use these tools that we've used both in pharmaceuticals and maybe in plant biotech? How can we apply those to industrial biotech? Go from red and green to white biotech. And then another big group of people that, you know, participate in this space are folks like DSM and DuPont that we come at it from the point of view of Material suppliers. We grew up making new and innovative materials and we look at this in in a a completely different way. That's where I personally come from. So 29 years ago I got a PhD in material science and engineering. Um, Came out right away, went to DuPont because I was super excited about working in research and bringing out new materials. And you know, over the last 11 years, as, as Steve mentioned, I've been in this biomaterial space and For someone who's a material scientist, for somebody who's interested in new materials, I think that's what this this space really brings, and I'll talk more about that. So what I'm going to do in this talk is very quickly in 15 minutes take you from where Dupont has been, what's the next thing off the block, and then what's the really cool thing coming up in the future that we're going to be working on in the space of biomaterials. So the, the first place to start is one of the really big differences between biomaterials and biofuels is in biomaterials, there's no mandates, there's no government subsidies. It's all about if you want to sell your products, a consumer has to want to buy them. And so we spend a lot of time trying to really understand where consumers are. And this is one of a zillion studies you can, you can find to talk about. The fact that 84% of consumers, if you ask them, will tell you, I want a, a more sustainable product. And even 66% of them will say, I will pay a reasonable amount more if it's more sustainable. But at, at the current time, something like 10% of them are buying products. So there's a huge gap here. Why is there a huge gap? The, the, the reason there's a gap is it's one of two things or a combination. Either we as, a, as suppliers or as the industry are not meeting their performance needs, we're not giving them the products that they need, or they're too expensive, they're not accessible to them. So that's really the challenge that we have. So there's a lot of different ways to approach that. I want to talk a little bit about the way DuPont approaches biomaterials. Well, the way that we look at it is, again, we're materials, you know, we like to think of ourselves as materials innovators. We're people that bring the new products to market, nylon, Corian, Tyvek, Kevlar. That's, that's our heritage. That's who we are. So when we look at this world of renewable feedstocks and modern biology, you know, conversion tools, new catalysts that come from, either you know organisms like you know fermentation approaches or enzymes when we look at that new toolbox of new feedstocks and new conversion technologies what we see is, a, is the ability to make new high performance materials a lot of people approach biomaterials and have the, the perspective that says the lowest market risk way to get into this market is to make an existing product with a more sustainable process so a biomaterial would be to make an existing monomer or polymer um that's today you know, basically supplied to the market through a petroleum-based or natural gas-based value chain. Let me convert that, have exactly the same molecule, but make it in a better way. And there's a lot of good reasons to do that, right? Obviously, the market exists. As long as you meet the specs that are out there, you drop in. There's not a lot of market development that's required. I mean, a tool just talked about the challenge for succinic acid in coming out and really creating new markets. All the new monomers, all the new polymers face that challenge. So it's perfectly reasonable for folks to come and say, What I want to do is do drop-ins. We looked at that, and we've been doing this. I've been in this business 11 years. People before me had the same conclusion in DuPont. We looked at at that and said, I don't think that's going to work. It's very, very difficult to compete against a super mature uh, value chain that's come all the way down the cost curve and, and be cost competitive with those guys. And that's sort of what's been proven out. It's been very, very, very difficult for all of us in the biomaterial space to come out and make an existing monomer um, with a new renewable route. Very tough to do. Not, not saying it's impossible, but it's very, very difficult. The other problem with it, from our perspective, again, as marketers, is if you come out with exactly the same material, your pricing power is determined by what's the you know, current price of that existing commodity plus whatever small premium you can exert or extract from the market based on being renewable. Very difficult. We'd rather have a performance-based value proposition, and all the projects that we work on in my business are all about new materials that have a performance-based value proposition. That's what we focus on. So let me tell you a story about a product that's been out since 2006. Most of you know this story. Um, we have a polymer called serona. Serona is a, is a polyester that's based on regular old terephthalic acid like PET is, but has a new monomer called BioPDO, which is a three-carbon glycol that is best made by fermentation. So PDO and and this polymer, Serona or PTT, have been known for many, many years, since at least the 1950s. But the problem was there was no cost-effective way to make PDO from a petroleum route. Shell did it, uh, didn't like it, got out of the business. Um, it's it's certainly chemically possible, but from the point of view of uh, um, economics, it's very difficult to convince those OH units to stay on the 1 and 3 position in that 3-carbon glycol. They want to go next to each other. They want to make propylene glycol. But using a fermentation process, you can, um, at very high yields, make biopedia. So, in fact, next week I'll be at an event in Loudoun, Tennessee, which is the site of our um, joint venture plant with, with uh, Tate & Lyle for the 10th anniversary of the startup of this plant. It actually started up in October of, of 2006. Um, that plant's been running. Uh, we've, we've expanded it. This is now a business where we take that biopedio. We have a, a polymer plant in Kinston, North Carolina. We have another plant in China. And um, we make a polymer called Cerona that has fabulous properties. It's used in carpet, it's used in um, carpet fiber, it's used in apparel. And because of the value proposition, the performance that it brings, that business has grown really well for us. So as an example, in, in carpet, um, our partner Mohawk started in the U.S. with zero 10 years ago. They have a 15% share now of the premium carpet market because Sirona has built-in stain resistance, softness, and crush resistance. It's a fabulous performing fiber. Oh, and by the way, it has a renewable monomer in it. It's really all about the performance. Uh, In apparel, it's a similar story. It brings comfort and what they call comfort stretch. And so if you've noticed in all your garments, what we're beginning to see is everything has a little bit of stretch to it. Men's pants never had stretch in the fabric. Now they do. Lots of of, um, the apparel trends that we're seeing are comfort stretch. That comfort stretch is brought by a, a fiber which is made up 50% of Sorona and 50% of PET next uh, sort of spun side by side. We call it bicomponent component fiber. That's another growth application for us. Based on this, sorona has gone from zero in 2006 to about a $300 million business for us. And it's continuing to grow. It's not like it's sort of peaked out. Last year we grew almost 20%. So this is a business that's a great success story. Again, biotech provided the way to get the monomer. That monomer enabled a... High-performance polymer, and that polymer has had a value proposition in the marketplace that customers have wanted to buy. So that's sort of the, the template for what we want to do at Dupont: is use these new feedstocks, use these new uh, tools of conversion to make materials that you know consumers want to buy. So let me talk about the next thing. Am I doing this wrong? Okay. Um, last January, we went, we announced a, a partnership that we have with Archer Daniels Midland (ADM) to make the next monomer. So. Um, there's another monomer called furan carboxylic methyl ester. anyway. It's an analog for the TPA that goes into polyesters. It has a furan ring in it. And it turns out furan rings are very difficult, actually, to make by petrochemical processes. But they're unfortunately really easy to make if you start with fructose. And so the best way in the world to make this particular diacid molecule that has a furan ring in the middle of it, the best way to make that is to start with fructose and do some chemistry to it. So this is not a process that uses fermentation or biotech. It's a process that starts with fructose that is obviously very abundant. ADM is the world-leading supplier of that, takes it forward using traditional chemistry, and makes a monomer called FDME. Um, the key Again, this is a monomer that's been known for many, many years, and in fact there's been a number of other companies that have come out with routes to make it, starting with fructose. The key innovation here was that this particular process is uh, integrated. There's two steps in this in this chemical transition. We were able to integrate those, and by doing that, we took a huge amount of unit operations cost and capex out of the process, and that's what's going to make this molecule accessible to the market at a price that people are willing to pay. So, you know, why do people care? Why do you want this monomer? Oops, let's go back. Um, the, the reason people want this monomer is that when you incorporate. This FDME or FDCA moiety into a a polyester, you get a a material that has most of the physical properties almost very, very, very similar to that of PET, which is used in carbonated soft drinks and water bottles. I see them all on the desk, you know, all the desks in front of you. But what the, the furan moiety does for you is it gives you incredible barrier properties, 5 to 10x better than PET. So, what that will allow you to do is today, if you've ever noticed, water bottles are much thinner than soda bottles. Why? The soda bottle needs to be thicker in order to contain the CO two and give that that soda or that beer its shelf life. What we, people would love to do is to really skinny that down and make it thinner. And if you can you can do that now by replacing some of the PET with our new uh, polymer PTF, which is made from PDO and this furan molecule, in order to get higher shelf life. Again, a breakthrough, performance based, but uses a renewable feedstock. Um, I'll skip this. People loved it. <laughs> people we announced this last year. We got a lot of great. Um, response to it. I got a, I got to wear a tuxedo in New York, which was pretty cool for me. I mean, you don't usually get to do that. What I want to do. We, I have a couple minutes left, is to share with you what we think the next great thing is going to be. So, uh, can we stop that for a second? Just wanted to set it up. Thanks. Um, what we're looking at here is uh, the next generation and the way to make biomaterials. So so far, what we've done is we've either taken you know we've taken renewable renewable feedstocks. We've either put them through a fermentation process or a chemical process. In other words, we're making materials the way that we've traditionally made them in the chemical and materials industry. What we're doing next is we want to learn from nature and make materials the way that nature makes them. So let me show you this video. You'll see what I mean.
6: Thank you. Historically, chemists depended on fossil fuels to make products to improve our lives. They strung together petroleum-based molecules to make synthetic polymers like polyester or Kevlar. Plants, on the other hand, use enzymes to string together long chains of sugars called polysaccharides that have a wide range of useful properties. The cellulose in wood, for example, gives it the strength to stand for hundreds of years. DuPont scientists have learned how to copy plants' natural process of making these polysaccharides we will soon be able to create many everyday household items like toys, electronics, and packaging from plant-based sugars instead of petroleum molecules, all by harnessing the power of nature. Even better, we can use enzyme technology to change the properties of these polymers, giving us the ability to create a variety of high-performance products accessible to everyone without compromise. The discovery of this enzymatic polymerization process means using very little energy in production, creating almost no waste, and lowering greenhouse gas emissions. A scientific solution for a sustainable future.
4: So, I don't have time to really explain that much about this, but basically, what it boils down to is you start with a sugar molecule you use an enzyme process, you take the glucose molecules, you string them into whatever kind of a structure you want, you release the fructose, and you can use that fructose as a sweetener. And so instead of having a fermentation process where the bugs eat half your sugar, or having a chemical process where you burn up a bunch of the sugar in that catalytic process, by doing what nature does, nature builds polymers at room temperature and room pressure inside of a tree and gets amazing properties from that, or inside of an allergy or whatever at room temperature and room pressure. So we're able to um, mimic that process using enzyme technology and make materials directly from sugar without having to go through a lot of waste. So, um, what I've tried to do with you, you know, here today is talk about where we've been. Um, Sirona was an incredible breakthrough, the BioPDO process. It's been very successful for us as a business and sort of um, you know, I think one of the real leads in the, this whole biomaterial space, it continues to be a great business. It does take a really long time, like Atul said. We've been at this 10 years. We're just beginning to really break into the full potential of this business. I expect it to double over the next five years based on new applications. Then I talked to you about the next monomer off the, off the sled here, which will be another polyester monomer, FDME, made by, again, a very innovative process that um, very uh, efficiently takes fructose to FDME, and then you can make a fabulous barrier properties from that. And then the third thing we wanted to talk about here was just what's coming next, which I think is going to be one of the coolest things I've ever seen, enzymatic polymerization. So thanks very much for your attention. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Michael. Uh, That was a a great overview of DuPont's approach and thinking about biomaterials and performance enhancements that are needed. Uh, Let me welcome Jacques of Algonauts.
7: Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Steve, and thanks for uh, doing a good job with my name despite my missing the pre-briefing, so thank you very much. But we are Algenol, not Algenol. All All right, Uh, so let me talk to you about, um, you know, uh, what is the broad range of algae products that can be enabled by all that explosion technology we see today and how uh, Algenol can contribute to this uh, future algae uh, economy. So... um, what I wanted to talk about is, well, number one, let me tell you a little bit about Algenol. So we are a uh, small company based in Fort Myers, Florida. We're already 10 years old, still uh, already got uh, the hundreds of millions dollars in funding. We're primarily focused on ag tech today uh, with very strong contract research development and manufacturing capabilities, including synthetic biology. Uh, our claim to fame so far is developing true synthetic biology, actually uh, very productive uh, cyanobacteria host that can uh, produce uh, ethanol and also bio crude as a byproduct. Uh, for those who know Algenol, that, that's been really our focus until last year. So, uh, why are we really so much uh, interested in the um, algae space? Um, we think that algae can be a phenomenal platform to meet the global needs uh, going forward. Uh, algae have some very interesting building blocks. Its oil and sugar content make it a great platform for both fuels and food. Its uh, protein content make it ideal for animal feed as a partial or actually a complete replacement uh, for feed in for some species. Um, some algae have nit- nitrogen fixing and other properties that make it ideal uh, for bi- as a biofertilizer. And also uh, algae can enable a whole range of uh, you know, products for you know cosmetics and nutraceuticals.
1: We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue looking at amazing stuff. We're live at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference with a lot of pioneering bio-based companies like DuPont, DSM, Alginol, and Genomatica. Stay with us.
5: Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology convergence, energy security, advanced manufacturing, and clean economy jobs.
0: The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America to become great again. My theme is Make America Great Again. I will do all that is in my power as president
2: to achieve that goal, A combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing oil new. prices.
0: Yes, the story on um, everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen
2: biofuels works and that you know other technologies work, like DME and and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence.
5: To learn more, visit biofuelsdigestcom ABLC.
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast.
3: All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Terratick. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Lane at biofuelsdigest.com.
1: Now back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing stuff from pioneering bio-based companies. We're live at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference. That's ABLC 2017. On stage right now is Jacques Baudrillosic of Alginol. We're going to head back right there, right now.
7: Nutraceuticals are the one area where there's already an algae market in business. It's nearing about a billion dollars now, led by spirulina, chlorella, and also some extracts like beta-carotene, astaxanthin, and others. Uh, It's been actually growing by uh, leaps and bounds, tracking the explosion in nutraceutical over the past decades or so, and it's projected to keep growing in, in coming years. Um, Ag science also uh, presents enormous amount of interest for algae. We are actually working on a nitrogen-fixing strain uh, that can help be, be an important ingredient into a biofertilizer and can also be a biostimulant. Uh, this is also an area where we see big positive drivers with the traditional fa- fertilizer being faced with nearly insurmountable issues of. Uh, uh, sustainability and uh, pollution across the board, and being banned outright in, in some areas of the world. So, why is Al interested in that space? Well, the number one, we have uh, we have really developed a couple of core technology. I think our synthetic biology capabilities I talked about, but I would say our core technology and our claim to fame is really our production platform, our photobioreactors. it has been developed at tens of millions of dollars over the past uh, nearly a decade. Uh, it is, uh, you know, this photo based bioreactors have gone to you know, 10 generations of designs and improvement. It's a multi layer platform uh, that uh, can help uh, grow a very large variety of uh, algae types uh, in highly productive uh, conditions with uh, very good characteristics. We can help enable natural colorants, nutraceuticals, food and feed. We've already produced ethanol and uh, green crude oil. Uh, we do have some intellectual property for some biochemicals. We're doing some tests for biofertilizer today and uh, like I said earlier we're about to go into commercial production for biocols. So Algenol can be an important enablers for this uh, technology I think the sequences all right got it right okay so why are photo so, great. So, there's three things I would like you to remember is that, number one, they're low-cost systems. So, if you heard of PBRs before, you probably think high-cost can never, never be commercializable. Well, we spent 10 years trying to optimize a technology to be able to produce a product that can sell for 50 cents per kilogram, ethanol. And so, every single one of our effort has been to drive the cost down and make it as cost-effective as possible. So, not only are photobioreactors can, uh, can, can last long and are highly productive but they're relatively lower cost. So uh, I would say uh, if, if you think about product that costs, you know, uh, or, or products that can be made at, at $2 per kilogram or more, I would say our PBRs are ideal to make it a profitable endeavor. Also I think you know, what's new is our enclosed production system, industrial algae cultivation, makes it a lot easier to control the culture and uh, within tight tolerance and make it uh, more predictable and high quality product. Um, and also I would say it promotes a highly efficient uh, algae growth because the ability to control uh, heat and light. Um, I m- will not ask you to read that slide, I apologize for the small font, but that's to encourage you to download the presentation afterward. So that's a, that, that's a comparative, uh, it's, it's a comparison in open pond technology, traditional PBR technology and our PBR cultivation systems. And uh, yes, while we have slightly higher capital costs than uh, Open Pond, we believe that our overall product life cycle costs are better. The economics are overall better. And I think we have a very compelling value proposition because of a uh, a combination of uh, high quality and uh, lower life cycle costs. As well as the ability to uh, handle uh, genetically enhanced algae in an enclosed environment. In fact, we think we're the only company that have had a, a GE algae approved and for cultivation in the commercial production. So why do we have so much productive advantages in our vertical PBR arrays? Well, number one, if you look at that slide, we have a much, efi- much more efficient light utilization. So lights basically goes down across the photobioreactor. So we're able to really uh, distribute light throughout all the depth of the, and the height of the photobioreactors across the board. Uh, while in open ponds the higher layers will get uh, better light exposure and in some cases too much light exposure which is also creates stress on the algae as well. So the light uh, utilization is a bit more constrained. We also have almost none of the competing and predator organisms that can uh, be present in open ponds uh, without intense treatment. And also we have no evaporation and very low CO2 losses. Uh, Once again, traditional ponds have much more of these uh, losses in the pond, so that's why we get a pretty big uh, productivity advantage uh, that's in part created by light utilization but also overall lower uh, culture stress. So uh, I would say we have fully fully automated systems that uh, basically enable very precise and tight process control and very predictable uh, high quality product output. So this is what uh, our two-acre PBR array that we operated between 2014 and 2016 in in Fort Myers looked like. It was premised in producing ethanol as part of the DOE project. Half of it uh, is is now uh, has been uh, turned off and replaced by uh, our initial commercial uh, module for our upcoming commercial plan for our uh, new uh, natural uh, colorant operation. So talking about natural colorment, let me talk to us about our new project. So we've never been really public about it. So we'll just ask you just to keep that between us and make sure we don't leak this outside this room. So I heard that Washington is a very good place to keep secrets, correct? <laughs> so um, our new product will be uh, the reverse of uh, you know uh, ethanol from 50 cents per kilogram to $100 plus per kilogram is, is something that I think, uh, Um, That's going to enable us to build a facility at a scale that really fits within our actual facility in Fort Myers, so within 15 acres we will be able to get a commercial facility that we actually uh, started the first uh, commercial module uh, actually today as we speak. The product is phycocyanin, so um, Spir- phycocyanin, which is a natural blue colorant from spirulina, has been approved by the FDA decisions and rulemakings in 2014 and 2015. The total has also good regulatory f- footing in the EU and Japan. Natural colorants are a two billion dollar market that grows at seven percent a year. It's very attractive because uh, most of the global food brands have made the decision to phase out synthetic colorants or as they call them, because of uh, negative health effects that have been identified by a series of health studies in the UK um, in, I think, around 2007 or 2008. And uh, so as a result, uh, the the drivers for uh, food buyers and color houses to switch are very high. And I would say the demand for our product has been really extremely good. Um, so Spiruli Spirulina, it has phycocyanin pigments which provide a vivid blue color. It's the only natural color that can replicate what you find in a chemical or petroleum-based blue dye. Uh, DIC Earthrise is the largest producer today. There is a fair nutraceutical and future ch- Chinese spirulina producers sell a phycocyanin uh, to uh, open pond, more traditional open pond technology. Uh, we will produce our phycocyanin through our uh, you know, highly productive photobioreactors. I think the uh, reaction from customers visiting our, you know, enclosed uh, system, highly controlled, for the food industry has been uh, really excellent. And uh, we hope to have, uh, we aim to have commercial production in 2018. So, you know, beyond, you know, FICO sign in, if you look at the long term, we want to leverage our uh, kind of one stop shop capability for commercialization. So we've already brought an ethanol molecule out and a, a food column extract, but uh, we are trying to leverage our capabilities to bring about uh, you know, future products uh, you know we're looking uh, definitely interested at I guess at biofertilizer that we're already testing in our labs, and also uh, in the future we'd like to uh, help bring some unique proteins for the, uh, as an alternative food for the future so we have 30,000 square foot or a lab, very large algal strain collection, uh, synthetic biology capabilities. Uh, we also can take you know, bench scale or uh, concept from the labs outside in the process development unit over 4.5 4. acres. Very strong analytical chemistry to provide feedback also to the R&D team. And uh, so so we can basically test and validate inside lab results outside on our Fort Myers site. We also have room and space to validate that technology through a large uh, scale up process outside like we did with a two acres facility for the DOE. Uh, and we also have a strong uh, regulatory team that have experience with state and federal regulation. We did some toxicology screening. We got NEPA and we got a algae approved as well. So we can go all the way to the end. So I just want to add, add a little bit more of synthetic biology capabilities. We have 54 employees with advanced degrees. We have a state-of-the-art lab in Berlin, Germany, uh, with 20 people there. Great experience developing cyanobacteria as a heterologous expression system. We exp- exp- have worked experience in targeted and non-targeted approaches. And also we have a complete molecular t- toolbox for multiple strains. So that was about alginol and the algae industry. If you have more information, please feel free to to contact us. Uh, We believe it's an exciting space, and uh, we look forward to being back here for many years. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jacques. Uh, It's great to see the progress in commercialization. Uh, We have time for some questions. Uh, Let me go ahead and kick it off with a, a first question at the whole panel. Um, Atul, uh, I was intrigued to hear you speak in, in your opening comments about the importance of staying the course. And I was hoping that each of the panelists could share an example of a time where the devil was really in the details and you know, what it was like to stay the course, stick with it, and any key learnings that you can share from those experiences. Atul, do you want to start?
3: Where do I start? I think each one of the stories we talked about, whether it's uh, Poet DSM, whether it's Reverdia, uh, or the new things that are coming on, uh, I, think, I think that you know, fundamentally you need to have the belief that, that there is value that you're going to create. You know, I, I look at the Poet DSM program, you know, and I, I just want you guys to think about it. You know, For those of you coming from Iowa, or Nebraska, or Minnesota, miles and miles and miles of corn. right? And, and uh, we take the corn, but the cobs, and the, and the stalks, and all the stover, you know, are today in the ground. It's got carbon value. Why can't we make something out of it, right? That was kind of the vision. And and are uh, trying to do it in a cost-effective way to uh, do some good stuff in terms of bringing new product, bringing uh, more sustainable solutions, creating value for the farmers because we're actually buying the residual waste. We're putting these $300 million factories out there, creating jobs. And then, by the way, we're making ethanol, which replaces fossil fuel. So that's a dream you can get behind. You know? And, of course, stay in the course. There are times when you say well, enough is enough. I, I know some of our colleagues have given up on it because it's just way too much money. So doing it smartly doing it with partners that can bring value, I think in some ways are de-risking it. I'm not sure if I'm addressing your question, but there's been many times we ask the question, should we continue? Yeah. But to have that support of the organization, having the balance sheet, to be able to stay the course, because there is belief that we will make money at the end of the day, and, when, and, and doing it with a purpose, doing something good for society, and bringing value, that's kind of what keeps you going, I think. That's just one example. Excellent.
4: Yeah, so I I guess there's lots of examples we could use. So if we go back to the the one that's been commercial, um, that biopdo project was 10 years of R&D at a very high level, starting in the 1990s. (laughs) Um, We worked with partners, Tate and Lyle had a lot more fermentation expertise than we did, so we worked closely with them um, in the early 2000s. And then you start up a plant, and when you have a new polymer, it takes time to build the business. So, all that period of time, our management had the long-term vision to continue to invest in this. And now it's a nice, I told you, $300 million profitable business growing 20%, anybody would like to have it. But um, you had to invest all that time to make it happen. Um, The the other projects I talked about, that FDME project, we've been working with ADM for about four years on that and had been doing some work um, both in ADM and DuPont before that. And the enzymatic polymerization stuff, literally the, the genius that came up with this in DuPont um, brought it, the first patent is Patent 7 million, which is a long time ago, and we've had a serious program on it for eight years, and it'll probably just be maybe late this year that we'll be announcing the first uh, commercial plant there if everything goes well. So that's the kind of time frame it takes, both to develop these technologies, but then just as importantly with materials, once they're available out in the marketplace to build a, the application space and build the demand for it, also takes time. So this is definitely not for the faint of heart.
2: To thank you, Shock.
7: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I completely agree with Otto and Mark. I mean, I would say it always takes longer in the lesson, it takes more money, it takes more people, it takes more rework. I think I would say the silver lining is that if our experience is true, I would say the second generation goes better than the first generation. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one lesson I'd like to give to everybody, and, and, and actually that comes from my DOE days also when I was at DOE, is that sometimes it's not the high tech, it's the low tech items that get you because there's so much emphasis and faturation and focus on, uh, on your new specialty that, for example, in our case it's really cultivation technology and evolving new algae, so we are, we are really excellent at it and so we manage this well and suddenly you say, oh my god, uh, that particular you know, piece of centrifuge doesn't work and it's going to take eight months to rework or, or you've not planned the interaction between your high technology system with the traditional low technology system, that's what gets you. And so I would say pay attention to every single part of the process.
2: Yeah. Um, excellent, I mean, one of the things I heard is that uh, a lot of the problems that can come up really are at the interface between all, all the high technology that we're developing and a lot of real world things. And whether it's rocks and pebbles that are coming in uh, along with all the biomass that you want or anything else, uh, it is the details that count. Um, let's take a couple of questions from the audience. I, I have a couple up here. Um, please call out if I'm not capturing the, the exact uh, intent of someone's question. Uh, the first one deals with uh, lignocellulosic sugars and really a question about whether that requires some two-stage conversion process or if there's a way to combine it to one-stage enzymatic treatment. I think it may have been prompted by some of your will yeah,
4: make, make sure I get the question right. I think what the question is is, wouldn't it be cool if you could start with lignocellulosic biomass, break it down with one set of enzymes and put it back together into the polymers that you want with another set of enzymes. I think that's what was meant. If I didn't get that right, somebody yell out. So um, I totally agree. It would be really, really cool. The reality is where the technology is right now is we have to start with very clean sugar. We start specifically with sucrose, and that's what makes the technology work with the class of enzymes that we have today. I'm a big believer that as time goes on, we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what can be done using enzymes to make materials. We're just getting started. So someday it would be absolutely fantastic if you could do that. Um, today it's not possible.
1: Time for this morning on Terratech. We'll be back next Wednesday at 9 o'clock Eastern with more from the floor of the ABLC as we take another dip into the changing world of products all around us. Until then, I'm Jim Lane, wishing you a great day in this new world of opportunity.
0: Thank you for tuning
1: into Terratech.
0: Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life.